Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for playing. Thank you also to all of our other volunteers uh, that we have that make the ministry of Little Farms Church possible there on the inside of your bulletin. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, my name is Mark Scaturro. I'm one of the pastors here at Little Farms. Pastor Bob will be making his way back from Costa Rica on Tuesday, so we can pray for traveling mercies there. Uh, Just a couple announcements for everyone today. Um, We have the joy of bringing into Little Farms a new covenant child, uh, a baby girl, Maven Ann, was born to Caleb and Allie Scout uh, Friday afternoon, so we can praise God for this blessing. Uh, Also, uh, Althea DeVos is back at Edison now from from her hip surgery, and she's going through rehab now, so that's uh, something that we can rejoice in. Also, uh, just to let you know, Trent Hordyke will be bringing us the sermon uh, this evening. Trent is a student at Puritan Theological Reform Seminary. Uh, he's somebody that I've, I've been working with for about the past year now, so this will be his first sermon. So uh, if you guys could all come and encourage our brother, uh, that would be a great blessing to him as, as he uh, takes the pulpit for the very first time. Um, something to rejoice in. Also, Infinity is going on tonight at the Vandersloat's house, and I just have one more announcement. So all the names on the mailboxes have been moved to make way for for all of our new visitors who are becoming new members now, praise God. So uh, just double check your name. The name will be above the mailbox. So just want to give you the heads up so you don't accidentally clear out somebody else's mailbox. So with that, I'd like to invite us to rise and greet one another, followed by a time of silent prayer in which we'll start singing 64 in the chorus books. to invite you now to rise for our call to worship 
taken from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Receive now the Lord's greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our hearts declare to you, O Lord, that you are our God. Apart from you, we have nothing good. Even if we were righteous, we would have nothing to give back to you. Father, you are sovereign. You are the covenant-keeping Lord and creator. We commit ourselves to walk in your ways, to keep your laws, your commandments, and your judgments. Help us to listen to your voice and help us to give ourselves wholly to you. We seek to be your people, a holy people whose calling is to make your name renowned, praised, and glorified. Father, we are your servants. Please guide us and direct us now as we worship you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this all in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing praise to our great God now through the words of hymn number 216, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, number 216.
I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5 for the reading of God's will for our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, hear now the reading of God's law. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Thus ends the reading of God's law. May he bless it to us. Please join me now in a confession of sin. Let's pray. Most holy and merciful Father, we acknowledge and confess before you our sinful nature and all of our shortcomings and offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned and wandering from your ways and wasting your gifts and forgetting your love. Lord, have mercy on us who are ashamed and sorry for all wherein we have displeased you. Teach us to hate our errors. Cleanse us from our secret faults and forgive our sins for the sake of your dear Son. O most holy and loving Father, send your purifying grace into our hearts 
we beseech you that we may henceforth live in your light and walk in your ways according to the commandments of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now hear your assurance of pardon taken from Psalm 32 verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a great God that we have. What a great salvation that we have in his son, Jesus Christ. Let us sing now how blessed the man who knows the law. Him, uh, Psalm number 1b, rather. Number 1b as in boy. How blessed the man. this time, I'd like to invite our deacons to come forward as we give our tithes and offerings. Please give as you feel called. Please give generously. Thank you.
Dear Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to give back just a small portion that you've entrusted to us. and That these gifts be used for the general fund and also the operations and maintenance of this building and uh, the capital improvements, dear Lord. And we just thank you for all the blessings, and we just thank you for watching over us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to turn with me, if you would, in your Trinity Psalter hymnals to number 530. Hopefully yours doesn't close on you like mine just did. Uh, Teach me thy way, O Lord. As we look at our call to grow as Christians today, what better way to sing, what better thing to sing of rather than asking the Lord to teach us his ways that, that we may grow in them. Number 530 in our Trinity Psalter hymnals. Please rise. Please join me now in turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be picking up where we left off last Lord's Day and at verse 11. We'll be reading through chapter 6 verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 starting at verse 11.
Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Here now, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. <clears throat> Excuse me. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That sends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we once again thank you for the privilege and an opportunity we have this morning to worship you. We thank you for the drive-in, the beautiful drive-in, the sunshine, the warmer weathers, dear Lord. And, and as we look into your message here, dear Lord, we ask that you bless Pastor Mark and uh, the words that he has and your words and give him clarity of mind and speech. And as a congregation, open, open our minds and our hearts that uh, we take this word and go out into your world. And profess it, dear Lord. We just thank you for all the blessings you have given us and continue to watch over us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. So how did we get to this point within the church of Jesus Christ where things that blatantly go against the word of God are being championed in the name of love, in the name of inclusion, in the name of convenience, so on and so forth. Why has the church largely moved away from exercising church discipline? Why are covenant children walking away from the church in record numbers? The church has a problem, and that problem is not new to man, as we see in our passage this morning. 
It's the same problem the writer of this letter to the Hebrews faced in his day. Sinful people become complacent in their walks. They don't really know what the word says and therefore can't uphold it. They become dull of hearing. They're falling away. For example, why is it that Ligonier's 2022 State of the Theology survey found that 56% of U.S. evangelicals agreed with the following statement, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam? Why is it that 43% agreed to the statement Jesus was a great teacher, that he was not God? How is it that 28% believe that the Bible's condemnation of of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today? Why is it that in another survey that the Pew Research just released, uh, this report that says that it's only 32% of American Christians typically go to religious services, and 57% of those are only attending virtually? I don't know how we can look at these statistics And not see that the church in America is backsliding. Think of your own conversations that you have with the various people that God places in your lives day in and day out. Christians are calling evil good. When they should not be doing so. And why are they doing so? Because they have forfeited their responsibility to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God and his word. Christians are to continually grow in Christ, not just give an intellectual assent and then coast the rest of their lives. The good news of our passage this morning is that God is not unjust to overlook our work and our love for him and the saints, and that those who keep the faith will actually be benefactors of his promises. This morning we are going to see that because we have been given Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit, we've been given the word of God, We can grow in Christ our Lord, and we can inherit his promises. To do this, we're going to be looking at three things this morning. First, we're going to be looking at the problem of complacency. Second, we're going to be looking at our call to grow. And third, we're going to be looking at our promise of an inheritance. Again, if you're following along in your outlines, it's the promise of complacency, our call to grow, and third, our promise of an inheritance. So with that, let's get started by taking a look at our first point this morning, the problem of complacency. The text this morning is rather convicting as our writer is calling out Christians within the church who are falling away. They have not paid that closer attention to the faith as they were called to do at the beginning of chapter 2. And they have actually drifted away. In verse 11 we read, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What is the the, the this in our verse? What is it referring to? It's referring to everything that we've covered in this letter up until this point. That God has revealed himself to us in the person and work of his son in, in these last days. That Christ is better than the prophets. He's delivered us God's word because Jesus is in fact better. Jesus is in fact God himself rather. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. 
that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, that he is above the angels, that he is our redeemer, that we are not to neglect the great salvation offered to us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is the eternally begotten son of God while Moses was a servant in the household of God. That believers are are in the household of God if indeed they too hold fast their confidence and their boasting and their hope in Jesus Christ. That it is only by our union with Christ that we can enter God's rest and that they are saved and can have hope because of the perfect high priestly mediation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. it's, It's all of this that is falling on deaf ears. These struggling Hebrew Christians have become complacent in light of their separation from others, in light of the persecution that they're facing, and in light of the busyness of their everyday lives. Some of these brothers and sisters are backsliding, and our writer is exhorting to them that this should not be the case in Christ's church. The writer goes on, For by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. These Christians have have been taught about Jesus. They have been catechized in a very real sense. And they're not growing due to their own apathy. They're supposed to be teachers in their own right at this point. Yet they're dragging their feet and spinning their wheels Our writer exhorts them that this should not be the case for the members of Christ's church. He compares them to weak, little, nursing babies who need everything to be done for them because they can't do it themselves. It's as if he's telling them, it's time to put on the big boy and the big girl pants and, and, and start to take responsibility for their own faith. They're to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. No more are they just to to coast along in life because as we read in verses 13 and 14, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hear that? They're they're to have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. They are to be in the word. They're to to be in prayer. They are to attend worship. Why? In order to distinguish good from evil. So how do we get to the place where West Michigan, otherwise known as GR Jerusalem, the reformed capital of the country, how do we get to the point where it now has legalized abortion? How do we have politicians in good standing in the church arguing for it from the Bible as we heard a few weeks ago? How do we have all of this confusion regarding human sexuality and gender and justice and race and just life in general, morality in our communities? It's because we live in a fallen world, of course, but it's also because many of us in the church are still drinking the milk of an immature Christianity. Brothers and sisters, yes, God is sovereign and we are saved by grace alone. There's nothing that we can do to ever earn our own salvation. But we also have a responsibility to grow in the word of righteousness. 
just as these Hebrew believers did then. We are saved in order to bear fruit. This brings us to our second point this morning. Our call to grow. Our call to grow. We read, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying uh, again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. A writer here is not saying that, that the fundamentals of the faith are bad things. These believers are, are certainly to be faithful not to forget them, but they aren't to camp there the rest of their lives. Here the writer speaks of this foundation, and of this, Calvin says in his commentary, these Hebrew Christians are not to remain in the first principles of the faith, and this idea appears more clear from what follows, the comparison of a foundation. For in building a house, we must never leave the foundation, and yet to be always engaged in laying it would be ridiculous. For as the foundation is laid for the sake of what is built on it, he who is occupied in laying it and proceeds not to the higher levels wearies himself with foolish and useless labor. In short, as the builder must begin with the foundation, so must he go on with his work that the house may be built. Similar is the case as to Christianity. We have the first principles as the foundation. But the higher doctrine ought to immediately follow, which is to complete the building. They then act most unreasonably who remain in the first elements, for they propose to themselves no end, as though a builder spent all of his labor on the foundation and neglected to build up the house. Though repentance from from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment are all important things. These believers are to grow in in their richness of, of the understanding and application of these foundations in their pilgrim lives. It's like those kids at the basketball camp on Thursday afternoon. Fundamentals. And then you go play, right? They need to to grow in this richness of the understanding and, and application of these foundations in their pilgrim lives. The Greek word used uh, for go on in this passage can also be rendered to bear or to exert oneself. They are to exert themselves in growing in their, not, in their understanding of, of how all of this scripture works together in order to form a system of doctrine, and then they're to apply that, that system of doctrine to all of life. To illustrate this point, let's look at question and answer number one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, something that, by God's grace, many of our young children can recite from memory. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you ask this to, to a five-year-old, and you're going to get this rote answer... That's the product of of a number of morning and evenings worth of catechism training during family worship. But ask that same question to one of our older saints. Ask it to the Hank Mulders and the Dot Vanderwerts of our congregation. And they'll give you the same words. But if you listen, if you ask, they will also be able to share with you what it means to glorify 
and enjoy God forever when times are lean, when the world falls into moral decline, when there's a, a war, or even when you lose a spouse. There's more color, there's, there's, there's more grit, there's more richness that drips from the same truth due to a life lived and experienced and examined. That's not to say that, that we ever arrive this side of glory. The glorious thing about our God is that we can always learn new things about him. We will never fully comprehend God in all that he is. And, and, and we know that his mercies are new each and every morning. We also see in verse 3 that this growth is a gift from God. And it's, it's this both and kind of relationship here. God gives the growth, but, but we are also called to seek it out. This is something that, that we get to do as Christians. As we continue in verse 4, we read these difficult, though inspired words. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm. And holding him up to contempt. So how are we to understand this passage in light of God's election. And the perseverance of the saints. Is he speaking of everyone who falls away uh, for a time? Is there no hope for the prodigals in our lives? No. He's talking about those who continue in their disbelief. Even though they have been blessed with access to God's word and his covenant community. He speaks of those within Christ's church who show up and go through the motions every Lord's Day without actually being converted. Just like those Israelites who wandered the desert. As one theologian puts it, the Israelites who in the desert fell away, had put blood on the doorposts in Egypt and eaten the Passover lamb. They had left Egypt, consecrated their firstborn males to the Lord, crossed the Red Sea. They could see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They had tasted the waters of Marah and Elim and daily ate the manna which God provided. They had heard the voice of God from Mount Sinai when God gave them the Ten Commandments. Yet these same Israelites hardened their hearts in unbelief. And because of their disobedience, they fell away from the living God. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews teaches that apostasy that rises from unbelief results in a hardening of heart and an inability to repent. So much like those Israelites, the writer here is speaking of those in our midst who have had the word of God preached to them. Who, who have been taught to say all the right answers to those very same catechism questions. They have been baptized. They have professed their faith. They have eaten at the Lord's table, and yet they have never truly believed. If that's the case. They are still in Adam. They are still left to their sin. They're, they're, they're still under the wrath and curse of God. As we see in verses 7 and 8, with this word picture that illustrates this point to this farming community, where we read, for land that has drunk the rain, and often, that often falls on it, 
and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Those who fall away for good are those who, who, who bear thorns and thistles, not fruit unto God. Again, we are called to grow, to, to, to progress in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord and his word that we might be able to distinguish good from evil, that we might be able to distinguish right from wrong. These Hebrew Christians and those of us here today are to continue in this enterprise of faith-seeking understanding. We are to be like those noble Berean Jews that we read about in Acts 17 verse 11 who were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness as brought to them by Paul and Silas, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we're not to coast. We are to grow in our understanding of the word in order that we might bear fruit to the glory of God, as we see in verse 7. This brings us to our final point this morning, our promise of an inheritance. So just to recap where we have been up until this point, we have this rebuke to those in Christ's church who are just checking the Sunday Christian box, as it were, who, who are not growing in their faith, they're, they're stagnant, and, and they're complacent. We have this call for these believers to press on in the faith and to, to go on to maturity. And this is what the Christian life is to look like. This is what we are called to do as the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, after all of this, we come to verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So, <clears throat> excuse me. After our writer you know, takes these believers behind the woodshed, he applies the soothing balm of the gospel. Look at how he addresses them. Beloved. This is not some overbearing domini. This is a shepherd caring for the souls of his people. He says all of this to point them uh, to, to these sure better things, these, these things that belong to salvation. The things that he has spent the first four and a half chapters laying out for them. He, he's saying the gospel is reality. So run with it. Enjoy it. Rest in it and grow in it. Teach it. As we look at verse 10, he tells these struggling Hebrew Christians that their labors are not in vain. Almighty God, the same God that has orchestrated their salvation in Jesus Christ, doesn't overlook the work that they do or, or, or the love that they show to him and his saints. That is to say, the church. Their efforts are not lost. On Almighty God. Isn't that amazing? Look at, look at all the list of volunteers that you have in your bulletin. God sees that. That's amazing. The writer shows his hand in, in verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. To have the full assurance of hope. Until the end. So that you may not be sluggish but imitators of, of those who through faith and patience 
inherit the promises. Writer gently and, and pastorally states his intent. This exhortation to these believers uh, is, is for them that they might have assurance of hope that they have in Jesus Christ their Lord. He wants them to have hope. He wants them to experience life in, in all the beauty and splendor that it was intended to be. It's just as our Savior tells us in, in John 15 verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The writer is teaching them what it is to flourish as pilgrims in this fallen world until they reach glory at the end when they will inherit the promises of God as his adopted sons, as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Promises that we will go into in more detail, Lord willing, the next time that we're able to hear from this letter of the Hebrews together. So, what does all of this mean for us here today, little farms? We, just like these struggling Hebrew Christians, have a tendency to get comfortable. To go with the flow, to to be in the routine, to become complacent. Church becomes the thing we do rather than that relationship of discipleship with our Lord and with one another. We become guilty of that moniker so often hurled at Reformed Christians, the frozen chosen. We become the Sunday Christian who attend worship on the Lord's Day, but then go off to live like the rest of the world the other six days of the week, thinking, looking, acting like the rest of the world. Apathy, indifference, and a lack of understanding the word of righteousness is what leads to the confusion that we see over who can fill the offices of elder, deacon, and pastor. Confusion over human sexuality within the church. Confusion over where the church should stand on issues such as abortion. Issues such as abortion, rather. And why do we get caught in this rut? So we can watch the Lions game on a Sunday night. So we can spend a couple more hours worshiping at the altar of family and friend. So we can get ahead in this life. Now again, I'm not saying that those are bad things. But we have a tendency to make God things out of good things, as it's said. It's as Calvin famously quipped, our hearts are idol factories. Family and friends are wonderful things, a good job, wonderful things. But we have to make first things first. Today's passage is a sobering reminder that we are to strive to grow as Christians. Every one of us here this morning should aspire to be teachers of the things of God to our children, to our fellow saints, to our co-workers, to our friends, to our spouses, to ourselves. Worshiping our God is something that we get to do. It's a privilege. And when we struggle to see this, and there are times when all of us will struggle to see this, this passage is a great corrective. We need to examine our hearts, little farms. Are we seeking this kind of growth? We have to also remember that we can approach that throne of grace that we learned about last week. That that throne of grace that we can approach with confidence 
because of what our great and perfect high priest Jesus Christ has done, because he has opened the way for us, we may receive mercy and and find grace to help in that time of need. And say like that father with the boy with the unclean spirit all the way back in Matthew 9, I believe, help my unbelief. That same amazing grace that we, we read at starting in verse 9 is also afforded to us in Christ Jesus. For those who believe, you're the beloved in this verse. You're the beloved of God in Christ. You are the recipients of that great salvation that the writer to the Hebrews has been laying out up until this point in the letter. You get to live as those who know that God the Father sees your work and the love that you have for for him and for his saints. You're afforded the the full assurance of hope until the end. And, And you will inherit all of the promises of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. So let us all seek to grow in maturity, to, 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 to press on to solid food as it pertains to the oracles of God that, that we may have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. May we all live lives that bear fruit and are pleasing to Almighty God. Let us all give our ever-watching, gracious, and heavenly Father a great show to his honor and glory alone in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God grant it. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we praise you for making yourself known to us by your prophets, by your spirit, and ultimately by your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for your law and for the gospel. We, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his ministry. Help us to not be complacent in our walk with you. Please continue to guide us by your spirit that that we can move on to solid food. Please give us a a zeal for your word. Set in us a fire to teach the saints. And Father, please forgive us for all the times that we have coasted in our walk with you. Forgive us for our tendency to get wrapped up in the things of this world. Forgive our fickle hearts and our dull hearing. Help us to both learn of the foundations of the faith while at the same time building upon them. Help us to rest in your promises and thank you for the great inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us be imitators of of those faithful brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Let us follow the example of Jesus Christ and help us to share of the great news of the gospel, the promises that you have given to us in him, to your honor and glory alone. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen that I'd like to invite you now to rise as we turn to our hymn of application number 517 I know whom I have believed number 517 
receive now your benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen.